Let's pray for a moment um, before we study these, this passage. Father, thank you for your, your word, your living word, your living word which brings life. And uh, Father, this morning, by your Holy Spirit, may your word bring life to us. And from this place, bring life to others. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So this wonderful passage, Valley of the the, the Dry Bones. Um, The people of God, the people of Israel are in the most desperate state and in the most hopeless position. Uh, I remember a, a couple of weeks ago we were thinking about, you know, the unthinkable has happened. Remember, Ezekiel is in exile. Uh, he's with a remnant of God's people in exile in Babylon. There's been a tiny remnant still left in Jerusalem. And I remember when we first started this series in Ezekiel, uh, one of the things we thought about was the false hope that the people of God had. And the false hope was that no matter what they did, no matter what happened, uh, God would not abandon Jerusalem. God had made a promise that Jerusalem was going to be his dwelling place forever, that his presence in the temple would remain forever, that no matter what happened, no matter what they did, God would never abandon Jerusalem. And now Jerusalem has fallen and the temple has been destroyed. And so the people of God find themselves in the most, the most desperate place. They're in a place where there is no hope. The unthinkable has happened and they're in this place where there is no hope. There is no prospect for the future. And it's in the midst of this experience that God speaks again to Ezekiel. And through Ezekiel, the hand of the Lord was upon me and brought me out by the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me to and fro among them. And I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very Dry. This is this is a it's a picture of of death and a picture where there is no prospect for life. You know, this, these are dried bones. They've been there. You know, some huge catastrophe has happened. It's full of bones and they have been pecked clean by the birds and dried by the sun. And it is just a valley full of death. And there is no prospect. There is no hope whatsoever of these Bones coming to life. But this picture that Ezekiel is seeing, it, it's simply a fulfilment of what God had said would happen if his people abandoned him and if his people were disobedient. Uh, remember back in uh, Deuteronomy, uh, God lays out the covenant relationship that he's going to have with his people. And the covenant relationship is one of uh, blessings for obedience and cursings for disobedience. God says, If you obey my laws, then you will be blessed. If you disobey my laws, then you will be cursed. That's the basis of the relationship. And we read in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 25, part of the curses that will befall them if they're disobedient. The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You will come at them from one direction, but flee from them in seven. And you will become a thing of horror to all the kingdoms on earth. Your carcasses will be food for all the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and there will be no one to frighten them away. And that's what's happened. So the Israelites should never have been sort of taken by surprise, because as we've thought previously, 
God has said, look, this is the covenant. This is what will happen if you're obedient. This is what will happen if you're disobedient. They've been disobedient. And what he said would happen has happened. They find themselves exiled from their promised land. Uh, They find uh, the city of Jerusalem uh, raised to the ground. They're in this place where it's a valley full of dead bones. There are people without hope. And he is asked, Ezekiel is asked, he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And the obvious answer is no. If we were looking at that situation, the obvious answer is, well, no, it's a, it's a, it's a valley full of, of dry bones. Uh, they're never going to come back to life. It's just a, a scene of death. And yet, Ezekiel responds with this uh, wonderful uh, acclamation of faith, O oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. O oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. It's a great um, challenge to us and a great encouragement to us when we look at situations that seem impossible and God says to us, can these bones live? And in our, in our hearts, in a place of despondency, we may say, well, well no, surely not. I can't see any prospect of things changing. And yet Ezekiel, even in the midst of what he's experienced and seeing this vision of dry bones, uh, his response is, Sovereign Lord, you alone know, because he's not lost his his trust in God. It's that declaration, is it? Oh, Sovereign Lord. That's where he begins from, is a declaration of who God is, that God is sovereign over all things and God is Lord. Lord of Lords and King of Kings. And that's, you know, the history of God's people began in a place of impossibility. Uh, Remember back in Genesis when God calls Abraham to be the father of many nations. And uh, when God calls Abraham and he says to him, uh, you know, you're going to have a child. uh, Abraham laughs because he's an old man and his his wife is is an old woman. And, uh, And they both laugh. Uh, in uh, Genesis chapter, uh, chapter 17, uh, God, sent, God comes to Abraham, makes him this promise that he's going to be the father of many nations. And uh, in uh, Genesis 17 verse 15, God said to Abraham, as for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations, kings of peoples will come from her. What's Abraham's response? Abraham fell face down. He laughed because he knows it's impossible. Abraham fell, fell face down. He laughed and said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And he looks at his circumstances and he just says, well, this is impossible. So he laughs and Sarah laughs as well. Uh, just uh, uh, same chapter, verse 10. Uh, uh, the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent. Uh, Abraham and Sarah were already old and well advanced in years and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. She can't have children. It's impossible. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my master is old, Will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? 
Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. So the people of Israel, they only exist because God took an impossible situation and brought possibility out of it. That's who our God is. And Ezekiel knows his history. He knows the story of his people. So even though he's now faced with another impossible situation, uh, when he's challenged, son of man, can these bones live? He says, oh, sovereign Lord, you alone know. You alone know. So in a place of hopelessness and despondency, suddenly there is still hope. And so God said to him, that he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I'll attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. It's as, it's as God speaks that life comes. It's as the word of God is heard and responded to that the spirit works and life comes. And uh, through this passage, we, we hear the words um, breath, wind, spirit. They all translate the same Hebrew word, uh, ruach, which is it's, it's the spirit of God at work. And this is what we've seen from the very beginning. This is the spirit of God who's at work uh, right at the beginning of the book of Genesis. Uh, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. The spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then what happens? God speaks. And then there's life. So all the way through Genesis 1, God said, let there be light. God said, let there be an expanse of water. God said, let the water under the sky be gathered together. God speaks. The spirit works and life appears. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. God is promising what he's going to do. And Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel speaks with confidence because he's seen God do it before. This is what God does. He speaks and life comes. And so as Ezekiel sees this vision, the dry bones are gathered together, tendons are attached, flesh comes upon them, breath is placed in them. Verse 7, I prophesied as I was commanded. As I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. The bones came together, bone to bone. Tendons and flesh appeared, but there was no breath in them. Uh, there's a sort of twofold process going on in this vision to emphasise the fact that it's God at work. It's God's spirit bringing life. So verse 9, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So we have this picture of, of death, this picture of hopelessness. And then God speaks. Ezekiel is challenged to prophesy, to, to speak life into an impossible situation and then to watch as God brings life into that impossible situation. And it's a glorious picture of redemption, of revitalization, of new life coming. And verse 11, we see, the, we see the, 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 the context, what's actually going on. He said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. This is the people of God. This is 
the state that they are in. Uh, As far as they're concerned, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. That's the place that they're in. But when God speaks, life comes. And the reality for us is that we have all found ourselves, we have all begun in this place of hopelessness. We've all begun in this place where it was as if our bones were dried up and our hope was gone and we were cut off. The people of God in in Ezekiel's day, they find themselves cut off from the presence of God because of their disobedience, because of their rebellion. And us in our natural state, that's the state that we find ourselves in. That spiritually we are, we are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off from the presence of, of God. Uh, Paul writes uh, in Ephesians, uh, uh, to those who come to faith in Jesus, Ephesians chapter 2, he says this, As for you, uh, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. He says, as for you, you were dead. You had no life in you. Now, um, if we're dead, is there anything that we can do to bring ourselves to life? Uh, well, there isn't. If, if you're dead, you're dead. Uh, a corpse cannot resuscitate itself. Uh, that's the picture of the, the valley of the dry bones. There's nothing that these bones can do to resuscitate themselves. They can't put themselves back together. They can't fill themselves with life. Well, that's the, the human condition is that that we are dead in our transgressions and sins and there's nothing that we can do to resuscitate ourselves. So Paul reminds the church in Ephesus of what God has done. Chapter 2, verse 4, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. Ezekiel sees this wonderful picture of God's Grace, the people of God have kind of died by their own hand. This valley of bones is their own creation because of their rebellion against God. But God in his love and in his mercy speaks life into them. And uh, we're only here this morning as the people of God because God in his love and in his mercy made us alive with Christ. What did we contribute to our resuscitation? Nothing. Uh, we were dead. What, would we do, what did we do to save ourselves? Nothing. We were dead. But God made us alive in his son Jesus Christ. And how did he do that? How is it that God brought us to life? It was through speaking. It was through his word. It's as God speaks That God, by his spirit, raises us to life. That's why Paul talks about the importance of taking the gospel to the ends of the world. That's why uh, Paul speaks about how will people hear unless there are those to preach the good news of God. Unless we tell people the good news, there's nothing for God's spirit to respond to. It's it's this wonderful um, mystery in the economy of God That we were dead in our sins, but as the word of God was proclaimed over us, the spirit of God made us alive. We brought nothing to the party. We did nothing of ourselves to deserve this new life. It's entirely the action of God in us responding to his own word 
as it is spoken. And that's what's happening for the people of God in Ezekiel's day. As Ezekiel has the courage and the confidence to prophesy, to speak life into dead bones, that they come to life. Ezekiel is challenged, son of man, can these bones live? And he says, well, sovereign Lord, you alone know. He has a confidence in God that God can bring life. And then surprise, surprise, God says to him, well, actually, I want you to prophesy. I want you to prophesy. God could have, you know, God could have done it without involving Ezekiel. Ezekiel could have just watched, couldn't he? Could have just been a bystander. And God could have just said, well, you you stand there and just watch what I'm going to do. But that's not how it happens. God says to Ezekiel, I want you to prophesy. I want you to be the one who speaks my word. And as you speak my word, see what I will do. And that's what we're called to do, isn't it? That's, I read at the start of the service that passage from, from Acts chapter 1 where Jesus says to his disciples, he says, wait, wait until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit and then go and be my witnesses to Jerusalem and Judea until the ends of the earth. He could have, you know, the risen Jesus could have just said to the disciples, he said, well, look, I'm going back to my Father in heaven. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. You just, you just be bystanders. You just wait and watch what I'm going to do. But no, he says, I want to involve you in what I'm going to do. I want you to be the ones through whom my word is spoken. And as you speak my word, watch what I will do. And you will see impossible things happen as you are willing to proclaim my word. We don't bring anything to the party. It's God who acts in us, but he involves us. I was... um, I was, I was preparing this. I was just reminded once again of, uh, of Bob Gardner, who used to live next door, and his, you know, his kind of journey to faith, which began with um, Ian and Lynn, who many of us know, who lived across the road, being challenged, I think at spring harvest one year, to think of the person they thought was least likely to come to faith, to think of the person that they knew who was, who was least likely, the person that... Uh, the Lord might have said, can these bones live? And humanly speaking, you would have said, no chance. But they started praying for Bob, who lived next door, the person they thought was least likely to respond to the gospel. And as they prayed and as they witnessed, over many, many years, his heart was softened and he came to faith and he was baptised in this chapel. And uh, when, he, when he died... Uh, he's, we mourned his death, but we celebrated his life in Jesus Christ. And how did he come to life? Because the word of God in him was activated through the power of the gospel. He learned the word of God as a child. And in his old age, the word of God came to life in him. And God brought him to life. Can these bones live? Well, yes, they can. When the spirit of God is at work. That's our encouragement. That's our promise. I remember, you know, the history of this chapel 50 years ago, two elderly ladies meeting faithfully morning and evening uh, on their own and perhaps thinking, can these bones live? Can new life come to Bolney Village Chapel? Can people be saved through Bolney Village Chapel? And their prayer, I guess, was, well, Sovereign Lord, you alone know, but we've seen you do it before. 
and we'll see you do it again. We'll trust you to do it again. It's God who brings life when it appears that there's death. And how do we know this? How can we be sure of this? Well, we can be sure of it because of the resurrection, because of the risen Jesus. Uh, Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 15 about the importance of the resurrection, about the fact that if Jesus hasn't been raised, then we're wasting our time. 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all people. If Christ hasn't been raised, our faith is futile. Verse 20. But, gotta love a biblical but. Uh, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also. Through a man. How can we have confidence that we are going to live for eternity? How can we have confidence that when we die, actually we won't die, we'll be raised to new life? Because Jesus is the first fruits. That's why our belief in the physical resurrection of Jesus from the dead and his ascension into heaven is vital. They're not optional extras, it's not wishful thinking. They're facts of history that Jesus has been raised. So we have confidence in our resurrection because of Jesus's resurrection. But more than that, we have confidence because the Father sent the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is our deposit. Uh, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. Now it is God who has made us for this very purpose and has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. How do we know with certainty that we're going to be raised? Because we experience the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Paul writes to the Ephesians, the church in Ephesus, Ephesians uh, chapter 1, verse 13. You also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to his praise of his glory. Do you know the assurance of your salvation? Do you know in your knower that you will be raised? Do you have that certainty? Have you felt the warmth of God's spirit in your heart? The certainty of his presence. Uh, John Wesley wrote about feeling his heart strangely warmed as he encountered God's Holy Spirit uh, bringing life to him. Do we know the certainty? Is that what we are looking forward to? I love the story of the, um, uh, the lady who was, um, uh, she knew that her life was drawing to a close and so she asked her pastor to come in and uh, visit her so that they could together plan her funeral service and they uh, she planned the the hymns and the readings that she wanted and then uh, just as the vicar was about to leave uh, she said oh one more thing she said can you make sure that when I'm placed in my coffin I have a fork in my hand and uh, the vicar was was uh, sort of puzzled at why she wanted to be buried with a fork in her hand, and he said, well, yes, I can, I can arrange that, but why? Uh, and she said, well, when we have a church lunch, uh, when the first course is cleared away, someone always says, 
Hold on to your fork because the best is still to come. Because you've had your first course and you've still got dessert. Uh, and uh, hang on to your fork so that you can eat the dessert when it comes. And she said, I want to be buried with a fork in my hand as a sign that and as a testimony that the best is still to come. That however good this first course may have been, however good this first life, this, this life may have been, the best is still to come. And that's the assurance that we have as Christians, that no matter when this life ends, the best is still to come. That glorious day when we are face to face with Jesus and there's no more suffering, no more tears, no more pain. That's what we're looking forward to. Can these bones live? Sovereign Lord, you alone know. And it's an encouragement to us as we look at our society and we look at our world and we read all the statistics of what's going on in the church in our nation. A whole bunch of statistics were just published uh, just recently. And uh, in terms of church life and church attendance and all of that, uh, all the statistics are are in freefall. Historic denominations are collapsing. All the numbers are heading down. And we might look at those figures, look at those statistics and feel despondency. But the Lord says to us, can those bones live? And our response is, sovereign Lord, you alone know. And his challenge to us, as it was to Ezekiel, faced with that, those circumstances, or will we have the courage to prophesy life? I was just uh, reminded of uh, something that um, John McGinley writes in The Church of Tomorrow uh, that was written uh, uh, by a guy called W.T. Stead, who was an eyewitness of the Welsh Revival in 1904. Welsh Revival in which 100,000 people came to faith within a year as the Holy Spirit was poured out on that nation. And, uh, and he wrote this. He said, it is ever the darkest hour before the dawn. The nation always seems to be given over to the evil one before the coming of the Son of Man. The decay of religious faith, the deadness of the churches, the atheism of the well-to-do, the brutality of the masses, all these, when at their worst, herald the approach of revival. Things seem to get too bad to last. The reign of evil becomes intolerable. Then the soul of the nation awakes. That was the situation that Ezekiel found himself in. That's the situation that our nation has been in time and time again. That was the situation in 1904 when God moved. So as we look at our nation and our society and our culture and are tempted to think, well, these are dead bones, the Lord challenges us to prophesy and to speak Life And to keep speaking God's word, because where God's word is spoken, a new life comes. Sovereign Lord, you alone know. You alone know. So we're going to close, um, we're going to close this morning by um, declaring to our village that our God lives, that our God is sovereign. 
So if you'd like to find in the, uh, the Mission Praise 